Hello and welcome to Arts Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Arts Talk Radio Online. Interviews and features on the arts in English. We're back in Delft this week to discover more about two painters from the city. Later, Luke van Riet will be taking us around the Vermeer Centre, but we start off with a report from Wendy Fossen, who was at the wonderful museum Paul Tater van Elven in the city's Cornmarkt. I'm here today with Alexandra Oostdijk, and she's the director of the museum house Paul Tetar van Elven here in Delft. Um, thank you, Alexandra, for receiving me in this beautiful house. Well, um, our pleasure. What can you tell me about the house and about the owner? Basically, it's history. Yeah, it's, it's history and art. Um, well, where shall we begin? Uh, we are in a house that dates back to the 16th century, so it's a real um, Delft Canal house. Only if you look at traces of the 16th century house, you'll find very few because there has been a lot of rebuilding during the centuries. And the museum that is in this house is called Paul Tete van Elve, and that's because our 19th century painter, the well-known, famous, not so famous, Paul Tete van Elve, he lived here. He was a, a teacher in drawing at the Technical University um, in his day, so from, well, let's say, 1860 until 1892, I think. So he was a, a teacher. Uh, he painted. Um, he didn't have children. He was married twice, first with Louise Smith, who died pretty young, and then he remarried to a lady that was 30 years his younger, Mechelina van Duren. Didn't have children either, so he left his house and everything in it to the municipality of Delft with the... Um, um, how do you say that? With he stipulated. The, with, he stipulated that it had to be a museum. And we think, why did he do that? He, he didn't want to uh, make himself more important than he was. He was one of the very, very many 19th century artists. Uh, he copied paintings. He painted portraits. Um, his main... There's a beautiful Raphael copy over there as Oh, well. he did a lot of Raphael. Yeah. The Sixtines of Madonna. And, well, a lot of Raphael, a lot of Renaissance 16th century, a lot of Rembrandt, Franz Hall, 17th century, all the old masters. So he was really good at that, but that, that was not an exception in the 19th century. Um, but he lived in Delft. He taught at the University of Delft, um, but he and his wife thought Delft was not a very cultural city. If you went out on the canal, you went to the left, you make a round around the canal, and you were back, and that was it. So there was a little culture. He preferred to go to The Hague or Amsterdam. When he retired, the first thing that he did was move to The Hague and bought a beautiful house there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis, Ars Longa. Yeah. So life is short and art is long. Um, back to the story. So he decided to make his house a museum because he wanted to educate the people of Here in Delft. Delft. Yeah, he wanted to make sure that there was a, a possibility for the students to visit a house 
with art, with furniture, with lots of porcelain. Yeah, because he, 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 you don't only see his own works here, but there's a, a lot of art that he actually collected throughout his life, but uh, more applied art. Yeah, yeah, more more applied art. He uh, he collected a lot of porcelain and uh, ceramics, um, Japanese and Chinese, uh, of course Delft uh, earthenware. He used it, so we have a lot of uh, surfaces with little chips off, uh, <laughs> but we have a lot of beautiful things as well. Um, he collected that. He also collected some uh, paintings of old masters. We have a, a lovely panel from uh, Adrian van der Venne, for example. Uh, and who also has a work at the Rijks Museum. Yeah, he also has a work at the Zielevisrijk, the Rijks yeah, Museum, for example. For example. Yeah, just, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very small panel. Yeah, but nonetheless. But nonetheless, yeah. he collected that. He collected work of his fellow painters. So we have uh, Marie ten Kate, we have um, Kukuk, uh, okay. one of the Kukuk family. Okay, more romantic um, um, Yeah, more, more romantic painters. We have one little uh, still life of Adriana Hahn, one of the female, few female artists he, uh, he collected. I think, if I say that, the only female artwork by a female artist he collected. Well, I mean, considering that the Mauritz House is only four or five female uh, painters in their collection, and they have a collection of more than 800. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's right. We're not, we're not so bad. No, no it's not, not so bad. bad. No. Um, so when he died, that was in 1896, uh, well, I told you his wife still lived because she was 30 years younger. She died in 1925, so that was the moment the house turned into a museum. museum. So that was quite quite a bit later. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, it was uh, rented by other, rented out to other people. Um, so the first board, they um, yeah, they, they made a choice of the the furniture, the paintings that all came back to make this a museum. And yeah, because when it was rented out, it, it, the, the whole uh, his his um, his collection. Yeah, somewhere else. Did it move to the house in the Hague, for instance? No, we're not or? sure because uh, the family owned more houses. The the house next door on. Mm. Well, I well, on the left or the right, <laughs> the belong, belong to the family as well. So they had more houses. So everything was, was spread out. Was spread out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the board could make uh, their own choice of what they wanted to have. So perhaps there were still paintings in the house, but we don't know. They didn't keep uh, keep track of that. Keep yeah. track of that. No, that's a little bit. Yeah, it's a pity that they. They, and I mean Paul Tate van Elve, but also the first board of directors, they didn't really make good notes about what they did, what they bought, what right, they okay, sold. So, so yeah. we were still yeah, in the dark, basically. We're still in the dark for yeah. a lot of things. But yeah. never, nevertheless, it's, um, the house, as you see it now, is really uh, the house of Paul Tater and his wife, Louise, and later uh, Mechelina. Could you, for instance, use photographs of the house? Were, were any photo, interior photos made just, you know, a snapshot or whatever? No, so no, it's, it's, no, it's, no. It's, it's, it's an educated guess, basically, it's a, it's what's a, here. Yeah, and then the story becomes nicer. We, we don't have photos. We have, I think, one, two, two or three photographs of Paul Tater himself. And that's pretty curious because photography was... Uh, used much at the end of the 19th century. Yeah. We have no photos of the house. Um, but when Mechelina died, uh, the story is that the handyman of the family, 
he came back, he had worked for Paul Tetar for years and years, and he said, well, I think that desk has to be over there. Those chairs oh, have okay. to be over there. Brilliant. On that side was that painting, on that side. And of course, we don't know if they did it exactly like it used to be, but uh, we get a good Thanks impression. To Thanks to him, we yeah. know how it, uh, how it was. And of course, a lot changed because the, um, the first board of directors or direct the board uh, and that was, of course, the mayor of Delft, the notary, and the uh, the local doctor. Yeah. So <laughs> very important people. people. No art historians yeah. to be found anywhere. Uh, for example, they decided, well, we have now our exhibition room, the purple room. That used to be a garden room with large open doors to the garden. Oh, okay. They sold the garden to the bank that um, had their uh, bank on the other, um, other side other, of the, other side of the, the block. Canal, yeah. Other side of the block. And they changed the room into an exhibition room. The kitchen, every house has a kitchen. We didn't have a kitchen. They broke the kitchen down. And what they did over there, they built a small house of two layers with the living room downstairs and the bedroom upstairs for a couple um, custodians of the, of museum. the museum. They could live there, <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't have children because that's too dangerous in yeah. a museum like this. Uh, so, but of course we lost a little of the daily life of yeah. the museum. What was important in the 1930s was the art, the paintings, the collection, collection of porcelain. Yeah. But the daily life, the kitchen, the bedrooms, that was yeah. of But nonetheless, nonetheless, when you're here and when you look around, um, you still see like the, the, the formal rooms downstairs. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also have um, another room upstairs, which is m more focusing on the 17th century. Yeah, it, it looks like an atelier, like a studio of a 17th century painter. painter. But... Uh, if we read the first um, speech at the opening of the museum, they say this is a reconstruction of the studio of Paul Tater van Elve. So there, I'm not exactly sure. They are his furniture, they are his paintings, they are the copies of the Night Watch and of the Anatomy Lesson by Rembrandt and others. But we are not sure if it looked like that. Right. It looks a lot like a room at the Technical University uh, made by Slautermann, he was a successor uh, of Paul Tete van Elven. It looks a lot like that. A lot of painters had a 17th century-like atelier in those days. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and they have, um, yeah, that's also nice because uh, the family of that handyman, we, have, we still have a notebook of uh, the carpenter handyman that worked for the museum. Uh, for example, he says at one of the pages, I created... Um, a hole, a new door in the museum. Well, the only new doorway we have is from the atelier to the library. And if you look at the library on the outside, there's a door on the outside, but there's wallpaper on the inside, so where the door was. Right. Um, so a lot of changes have been made over the, over the past century, basically, mm -hmm. but it's, it's generally speaking still a 19th century interior yeah, it is. Um, with his furniture with his collection uh, so it's very much worth your while um, to come and visit oh, yes. here very, very much so there's plenty of activities and uh, and also uh, if people want to have tours in english that's no problem no so problem. um no. do you have a website that they can yeah you can do uh, a tater 
Point.nl or Museum Paul Tetar van Elven.nl. Okay, well, thank you very much, Alexandra, for this lovely interview. And thank you. And welcome, everyone. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot NL. Arts Talk magazine, dot NL. That was Wendy Fossen talking to Alexandra Ausdijk, director of the Museum Paul Tater van Elven in Delft. Arts Talk Radio Online. Paul Tater van Elven may not be familiar to you, but you will certainly know about another painter from Delft, Johannes Vermeer. I went along to the nearby Vermeer Centre, where I met with Luke van Riet, a city guide who knows all about the famous Dutch artist. But first, we needed to establish that the Vermeer Centre is in fact not designated a museum, because there are no original Vermeer paintings there. Yeah, that's correct. We are called an information centre, Vermeer Information Centre in Delft. And uh, yeah, this, this, this centre is actually founded because we have no original paintings in Delft. And we have actually nothing in Delft. Even the houses where he lived are disappeared. So about uh, 10 years ago, uh, some people had the intention, let's do something. And it ended here in this centre where we have, that is the main, it's the core of it. Uh, there we have uh, all the known paintings of Vermeer here in reproduction. But the interesting thing is, although they're reproduction, and there are how many? 37. Because there's some contention over that, because some people say there are 34 Vermeer paintings, some people say 30. Anyway, the 37 pictures you've got here, they are reproductions, but they're actual size, and they're in chronological order, which is very interesting to see, because you can't see that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's also the reason why we have regularly people from televisions everywhere from the world. If they want to make a program about Vermeer, they can here film all the paintings together uh, without traveling. Yeah, the scattered paintings over the world, you should not do that anymore. You do it here. Mm. And on the movie, on the film, you don't see the difference between an original and a reproduction. Of course. So the building itself is, well, it's an old guild building, isn't it, from yeah. the 17th century? Yeah, it's the guild building, so-called the St. Luke Guild. And in Dutch, the St. Lucas Gilde, and uh, that is the, the guild special for artistic professions, like potters, like painters, like uh, graphical printers, engravers, and glassmakers. Mm. Because not uh, an enormous amount is known about Vermeer, is there? Um, we, we know where he was born, but we don't. We're actually sure which house he was born in. Yeah, we are now really sure that we know the spot. The house is not there anymore. Yeah. It is an other house, and uh, where he lived, uh, yeah, he lived as a young, as a kid, is gone. And the house where he lived uh, with his family and where he produced the majority of his works is gone as well. But um, all his work was 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 based in in Delft, and I think a lot of the interiors were done in his own house. So that you see a lot of the same furniture yeah. and the same paintings and everything else. But one of his most famous paintings, which is called Little Street, which is the front of a house, and you can see a woman working in the doorway and another one working down a side alley. There was a big argument about where the actual location for that was or whether it was a fictitious house. In a due of the years, there are about 10 different theories. And the most recent one is from Professor Grijsenhout. And he, well, he, he announced that it was in a street called the Voldersgracht. And uh, yeah, it is okay to me, but uh, I said there are so many different theories that I would say make your choice. The, the museum itself consists of what? We're, we're now on the ground floor, which is a, a cafe and a shop, and the shop has lots of books and postcards, and 
seems to be that the girl with the pearl earring is the most predominant picture, and you can buy reproductions of that on anything from a plate to a bicycle bell. Yeah. That's right, that's right. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is also chosen some years ago as the most uh, yeah, interesting, the most beautiful painting ever produced in the Netherlands. This painting was chosen. And it's also in the Netherlands at the Maurits Huis in The Hague. It is still in The, the Hague in the Maurits Huis Museum, indeed, okay. yes. Okay, let's go upstairs. Right, we're now on the first floor, which is a big room, and there's a, a, a nice table which shows, I think, uh, Vermeer's techniques. It is uh, actually a uh, second intention of the center. It's not only showing the painters we have here uh, from Vermeer, but we also would like to introduce some yeah, techniques and uh, problems to be solved, problems yeah, for the painters to make good paintings. And what we see here is an impression of uh, the, the paint itself. So there are, there are jars of, of, of pigment, powdered pigment, and um, lots of information about the various paints. I, I think Vermeer actually used a lot of paint which was relatively expensive and difficult to come by. Uh, yeah, so-called uh, lapis lazuli, that is what Vermeer in intensively used, but it was possible uh, for him because his mother-in-law was a very wealthy lady. So Vermeer used a lot of uh, yeah, lapis lazuli or ultramarine as another name, and uh, we have here also little pieces of that. But he used some more uh, pigments, and we have there a list of the ten pigments he obviously used in his works. Because in those days artists wouldn't go down to the local art shop and buy a tube of paint, they had to make it themselves from scratch with the oils and yeah. the various yeah. pigments. Yeah. We have the pigments here as an example in little, little pots and we have here also an example of the most common uh, binder that is linseed oil. Right, and here we have a lesson in, in art and this is um, all about perspective and how perspective works. This is perspective area indeed. We, we show there in the corner there you see the camera obscura, which was actually an invention actually more or less in the Renaissance period and uh, the time of Vermeer this thing was well known even in a carryable version and the advantage is of that, that camera is that you can see how something in three dimensions will be translated into two dimensions. Because um, painters' art in, in those days was very much a craft. It was like a silversmith or a goldsmith or a butcher or a baker. It was yeah. about very much a trade yeah. rather than yeah. what we would describe now as an artist. No, who no, very no. Much it's just uh, yeah, hard-working people, uh, laborers. Uh, so, and, and they yeah. used tools, I mean, yeah, like, like the camera to get the camera. To one. It's the first painting where he obviously used the technique of pin and thread. And uh, that means that at the point in the painting or outside the painting where the lines, the perspective lines come together in the disappearance point, it was then the first practice to put a pin in the, on that spot and a wire. And you can put some chalk or carbon on the wire. And with that, you can also prepare the correct uh, position of lines in the painting. And there we have a screen where you, we can explain a little bit more about the effect of color. Because he, he actually did, compared with somebody like Rembrandt, his colors were really quite bright. Bright. Uh, the light was bright because Raymond was in the yeah, the clear obscure uh, artist. Uh, say low key and high key. Dif this are the differences you can compare Rembrandt and Vermeer. Mm. Where Rembrandt is the, uh, the the low key and Vermeer is the high key painter. Oh, uh, there's there's. Oh, I see. Uh, in the corner here, there's a little back like a little film set really, in a little corner of a room which is a, a Vermeer room, and you can actually sit here and have your picture taken in a Vermeer Vermeer room. Do a selfie. Hmm. Do you provide costumes as well? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> there's a sort of square on the floor, about two yeah. metres square, and everything fits into that, and there's a chair which is half in and half out of the, the set, but it's been cut in half, so it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't leave the set of black and white tiled floor. Yeah. Right, onward. Good.
Right, we're now on the second floor, the top floor, and this is where all the pictures are, all the reproductions of Vermeer's paintings. And each painting has got quite a large section to itself, which is, uh, and it concentrates on the detail and explains the detail and the context of the de detail and the domestic items. Um, so these paintings, although you have all the reproductions here, and they're all chronological and the correct size, which is interesting to see, they really are spread around the world. And I think yeah. there are f almost fewer in, in, in the Netherlands. And in, in America, I think there are in America. America, America thir 13, Netherlands 7, Germany 6, uh, UK only 2, uh, Ireland 1, uh, Austria 1. France too. Sounds like the football results. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. What you see here is actually uh, more specific because we want our intention to be an information center. Yeah, yeah. It was very remarkable that did need not only Vermeer but all the artists, even also writers or, uh, or playwriters, they used symbols to give more information. And the remarkable thing at Vermeer is that all his additional information is in relation to love. And, and erotic. And that is what we expose here. And we have here explained the number of those symbols here. You can see them. Right, there's a whole wall in here, about so 15 or 20 little pictures, each with symbol. There's a little sort of, um, there's a bowl of fruit, and there's a hand um, playing a keyboard, and the lady doing, what's she doing down there? Drinking wine. Drinking wine. And a woman sleeping, resting her head on her hands, and a double bass. Orange cheek, so did he drunk too much? Yeah. <coughs> this is a prostitution scene. The guy is already yeah, starting the job by, by <laughs> touching the breasts of the lady. And on the other hand, he's paying her. And all those symbols have a meaning. Here we see a painting on the, on the background, and that is a ship in troubles at sea, which is very often used as a metaphoric symbol of the marriage. There, as you say, there, most of the paintings um, include or portraits of, of women. Do we know who many of these women are? No. No, do not know because we don't. Actually, Vermeer is an unknown person. When he died, too young, too early, he, when he died, uh, his wife immediately became in a bankruptcy position, and all the material they have is sold, gone. And the paintings were yeah, spread over, after 20 years later, spread over because one owner had the half the total production of Vermeer in his position. But when the guy died, his, his whole collection, 21 Vermeer paintings, were sold on an action in Amsterdam in, in 1696. Mm. And then, then the, yeah, the view on the paintings is lost. Because I think he was, in his day, he was quite well known. He wasn't as famous as Rembrandt, but he was quite well known. And then after his death, I think he was more or less forgotten for 200 he years. Was, he was not too, too known, actually. He no. was not too, too well known. But he wasn't unknown, whereas for 200 uh, years and, he was and, totally and forgotten. He was forgotten, and uh, he was actually in an accident, a French... Yeah, a French guy, a French specialist who came in the Mauritshuis and he saw the painting View on Delft. And he was so extremely um, yeah, surprised about that and the quality, he started to write about it in France. And he influenced the French writer Marcel Proust. And Marcel Proust began with an enormous yeah, a quantity of works, but he started to introduce people who did study Vermeer. 
and they have also very interesting stories. And he is also has then also produced the so-called Le Petit Pan Jaune dans the Petit Pan yeah, dans Mur Jaune, and that is a very well-known uh, yeah um, fact. And French people visiting his center are asking, where is that? Where is the Petit Pan? Where is the Petit Pan? But the the, the incredible thing about the sort of little yellow wall is in the painting. It is really right off to one side, to the right-hand side, and, and very very small and insignificant. Yeah, there are three alternatives, but you can, you can also dis dispute about it. But you have three light spots in the painting. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I leave it. It's up to you what you like to but do. But this, this is the one of the few uh, sort of landscapes which Vermeer painted. For it's me quite it, a long painting, which is, is a view over the water to the city. To the, to the city. It, yeah, if you call it a landscape, it, I would say it is more st a townscape. Actually. Yeah, but I mean it rather than domestic or portrait. Only two: the little street and this one is painted yeah. outside, and the rest is all an mm. internal. But internal. even the the little street, which is a close-up of the exterior of a house, and you can see what's going on inside. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the view of Delft is is actually quite unique. Yeah. Yeah, that is right. Right, we're now on our way down to the lower ground floor, to the basement, which is a bit darker and more like an art gallery than upstairs. And, oh, it's a huge room, and this is where all the reproductions are. And they're lined up in chronological order, in the same size, and they're, wow. So it's very impressive to see them like this. Yeah, it is indeed. We have him here in chronological order. And the remarkable thing is that you, you start looking to the young Vermeer, the younger paintings. He is still in his process of becoming a master in painting. You see he used big big paintings and the, 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 yeah, the, the, the subjects are mostly religious or mythological. But they're not they're not so big. I think the big I mean that's this oh, the first one's about a meter square and there's one a couple here which are about a meter and a half by a meter and a half. If you look more around, you see that the paintings slowly become smaller, 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 smaller. And but what is a technique which was also developed typically in the Netherlands and it's called fine painting. Fine schilder is the name. And it has to do with the fact that in the past Big paintings, big were for churches and, and monasteries, uh, religious uh, yeah, clients. But in the 17th century, it was here the majority was Protestant, so there was no Catholic church. It was even forbidden to be Catholic. So the the art of painting ging, introduced themselves much more and oriented them much more on private uh, buyers in the house. And then you have better smaller paintings because the houses were not too big as a church or so big as a, as, a, as a convent. And even rich people would like to have as much as possible paintings on one wall because that, that reflects yeah, wealth and, and intelligence. So you see, for instance, the famous milkmaid who is here is a very small painting. Very small indeed. It's about, what, 40 by 35 or something. Okay, let's move around a little bit further. This is an example here, where you can see that Vermeer did not control the technique of the, the, the wire and the pin. The perspective, yeah, very no perspective on the floor. It's not good, the perspective. Mm. And there you see the first painting, where he used it. And they have found it in this, with, with X-ray or infrared um, techniques, they could show that on this spot was indeed a little pinhole. The music lesson. music lesson, yeah. And the names, the Dutch names for the paintings, they are derived from the from the auction in Amsterdam, uh, because we even did not know the names. And no, so there was no information. Vermeer didn't actually put any information on the back of the pictures. No date or anything. No diary, no letters, nothing. And that is very interesting for writers, because a writer can yeah you can make it up. <laughs> can I make it up? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And nobody can contradict him. Yeah. 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 
So there's an awful lot to see, a lot of interesting things. If you're interested in Dutch art, if you're interested in the Golden Age, if you're interested in Delft, or if you're interested specifically in Vermeer, there's an awful lot here. Uh, the only thing that's missing is the actual originals. Well, Luke, thanks very much indeed for that. Uh, most enlightening. And I would recommend that everybody in Delft or who visits Delft comes to the Vermeer Centre because it's well worth a visit. So that's all for now. Thanks very much, Luke Van Riet. It was a pleasure to meet. Thank you. That was Luke Van Riet, who was talking to me at the Vermeer Centre in Delft. Arts Talk Radio Online. So, that's all for this week, but please join us for the next edition of Arts Talk Radio. If you have any comments, we'd be pleased to hear from you, and if you click on the subscribe button, you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest programmes. My name is Michael Hasted, and so for the moment, it's goodbye. Goodbye.